All right, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We'll finish the chapter today, and we'll see how we do with chapter 16 next week. Ideally, we will uh, we'll do the whole chapter of 16 and finish Romans next week, but I'm not so sure that that will happen. We'll see what happens. So as I have mentioned before, a little bit of a recap. We are kind of in the postscript portion of Romans. Paul has uh, made his theological and doctrinal arguments. He has given the application to those uh, from chapters 12 through the first part of chapter 15. How then shall we live in light of all of these wonderful realities and truths that have been revealed to us in the first part of the book of Romans? And now Paul is essentially making some concluding um, thoughts, if you will, some statements. He's planning on coming to see the, the Christians there in Rome. At this point, he has not yet made it there. And so it's his desire to come. And so he's just letting them know his plans and his hopes and kind of what he has going on in his ministry along the way. And so I've titled this portion of Scripture, Mission-Minded. And it's uh, seven aspects of Paul's approach to ministry. And so we did the first part of this uh, two weeks ago. And so we covered the first three aspects, if you will, principles. And we're going to look at four more today. So just by way of uh, review, the first one was Paul had an ultimate purpose in his ministry. And that was to effectively minister the gospel. The second one was that Paul had an overarching principle in ministry, and that was to glorify Christ and not himself. And then the third was Paul had a radical philosophy in ministry, and it was that of a pioneer. Paul sought to go where Christ had not been named or preached before. So we looked at those. We have four more today, and I'll, I'll uh, get into those as we go into it. But last time I talked about the fact that Paul was a man on a mission. Paul was a man on a mission, and he served the Lord fervently, zealously. And that's, that's still really what we're talking about today. And I would say today, Paul was a man on the move. Paul was a man on the move. He was getting after it. He was always moving forward in Jesus' name, serving the Lord radically. You know, Paul was an in-the-game kind of Christian. Have you ever heard the term sideline Christian or a couch potato Christian? They're the one on the couch barking orders at the coach, but they're not really in the game. And so that's a trap that we as Christians can fall into. So Paul really set an example for us as a guy who was in the game. He was an in-the-game kind of Christian serving the Lord. We would say he was a man of great zeal. He was a zealous man. Maybe that's a word that you have heard before. I think the modern vernacular would be on fire to be on fire for Jesus, to be zealous. And that was, that was a quality that was to be greatly admired by the culture of that day. To be said that you were a man or a woman of zeal, that really meant something. And so that's, that's a biblical quality to be sure <clears throat> that Christ desires for His church, for His people, that we would be zealous. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11 Paul said, <clears throat> excuse me, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So don't be slothful when it comes to zeal, but instead be fervent, be on fire in the spirit, serve the Lord. 
And we know in Revelation chapter 3, you remember the, the lukewarm church, Laodicea? Jesus said, you're, you know, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I will spew you out of my mouth. And people think, what, is, what in the world does that mean? And I remember as an unbeliever, I, just, I was really troubled by that verse. Scared me a little bit. I thought, what does that mean? Literally, like, am I gonna somehow be like spewed out of Jesus' mouth or something? That used to really trip me out. But the idea, it's like, um, I don't know how many coffee drinkers we have in the room, but you know, there's nothing better than a good hot cup of coffee, man. I tell you. And uh, you pick up a cup, a cup of coffee that maybe has been there from the day before, and it's just been sitting there all night, and now it's just gross. And you go to take a sip, and then what's your your response would be to want to spit it out. It's disgusting. It's, it's tepid. And that's the idea. Jesus, man, he wants to see us be on fire. He wants to see us be excited about the things of God, the things of the faith, and to be serving him like that. And so when Jesus addresses this church that had been, uh, become lukewarm, he says, therefore, in Revelation 3.19, be zealous and repent. So you need to turn from your lukewarmness. Turn from that and be zealous for Jesus. Be on fire. And I mean, I just think that's what we see modeled in Paul's life. And that's what we see in this portion of Scripture. You know, regarding this idea of zeal, Christian zeal, J.C. Ryle said this, Zeal in Christianity is a burning desire to please God to do His will and to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. It is a desire which is not natural to men or women. It is a desire which the Spirit puts in the heart of every believer when they are converted to Christ. However, a desire which some believers feel so much more strongly than others that they alone deserve to be called zealous men and women. So this zeal, it's something that God gives us. It doesn't belong to those who are outside of Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, even for us who have been walking with the Lord for any period of time, know that we ebb and flow in this. We're up and down. There are seasons where we're on fire for God when we're zealous, and then there are seasons where we are not. You know, he goes on to say, this desire is so strong when it really reigns in a person that it impels them to make any sacrifice to go through any trouble, to deny themselves anything, to suffer, to work, to labor, to toil, to spend themselves, and to be spent. And so that's, that's Christian zeal. And that's what we see modeled in the life of Paul and his missionary endeavors as he served the Lord and faithfully served these churches. That was how Paul lived his life, and that was how Paul served the Lord. And so that brings us to our text today. That's why I've titled this Mission-Minded. Paul lived that way. He lived a life on mission. He was on mission for Jesus. He was on fire for the Lord. And what we have before us today are four aspects of his approach to missions, to ministry. Verse 22. This is Paul pressed forward in his mission endeavors. First point. Paul pressed forward and his mission endeavor. I was able to keep the P for all, all seven of these, and so that, that to me, I was impressed because that's a hard thing to do. All right, so Paul pressed forward in his mission endeavors. Verse 22, it says, For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. 
So Paul had a desire to come to see the, the Christians in Rome, and we know that he would. He would eventually make it there. But Paul had been hindered from coming to Rome to this point for a number of reasons. We know one reason was that because he had that, that spirit of a pioneer that we were talking about, and he wanted to preach Christ where Christ had not been named, and so he was busy doing that. But we know that Paul oftentimes made attempts that, uh, that didn't happen. Paul would press forward in ministry. He would make various attempts to go to different places, but the Spirit would deter him from, from doing so. We see this happen in Acts chapter 16, verse 7. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. So Paul was a man that pressed forward in his ministry endeavors. Not every door that he knocked on was open to him. He would be hindered at times in ministry, but he would continue to press forward. You know, he would continue to press forward. He didn't let that stop him. He didn't get discouraged or frustrated. He didn't say, this isn't going my way, or I tried this and tried that and it didn't work, so I'm just going to stop. I'm going to quit serving the Lord. He continued to press forward. And I appreciate this about Paul. This is what I would call a go-for-it style of ministry just going for it getting after it you know he was willing to fail but he would fail forward but he would continue to move forward in Jesus he was one who stepped out I admire this you know this is something I've always wanted to to see in my own life someone who was moving forward in Jesus name someone who was taking risks attempts in, in ministry and in life even if even if I were to fail, potentially, you know, but just going for it. You know, I think in some ways that described Peter. Peter was a guy who just went for it, right? We think about when he was in the boat with the disciples and Jesus came walking up on the water. What was Jesus, uh, Peter's attitude? What was it? He said, I want to go out on the water, Jesus. If that's you, would you call me out onto the water? He went for it. He stepped out of the boat. Jesus, uh, Peter, went for it. That to me is impressive, you know. Some people would say, man, it sure was a lot safer in that boat. A lot safer in that boat. But he was willing to, to forego safety just to be where Jesus was at. And that's the way that I desire to live my life. And I think that's how Jesus would have us live our lives in zeal for him. That we are moving forward. That we are stepping out that we are taking risk, as it were. You know, I, I just remember getting hit with this years ago. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and wish that I would not have played it so safe. You know? I don't want to get to the end of my life and wish that I would have taken more risks. You ever think about that? Like, what, what do you usually hear people say at the end of their life, on their deathbed even? What were the things that they wish they would have done? You know, it's usually very different than the things that we find ourselves chasing in this life. And, you know, I'm a worrier. I don't know about you. I worry. It's just in me. It's, it's just in, in my nature. And so there's the what ifs. Anybody in here struggle with the what ifs in life? Are you terrified by the what ifs? What if this happens? What if that happens? 
You know, well, what if none of that happens and you make it to the end of your life and then you wish I would not have been crippled by those what ifs? And so to have this mindset of, of forward moving in the faith, serving the Lord fervently, being zealous for the Lord God and taking more risks in His name. You know, we should be very mindful of God's will for our lives. We should be very prayerful for God's will in our lives. But I think for many of us, we need to just get moving. I think that the vast majority of us, we just pray and pray and wait and wait until the heavens open up and, and God declares with a loud, booming voice what we're to do. And we're not going to move forward until He does. But for many of us, we just got to get moving. We have to be pressing forward the way that Paul pressed forward, even if there are failures, even if there are mistakes, as it were. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, you know, it, you can't steer a car that's not moving, a parked car. As simple as that is, there's, that's very profound. You know, we've got to be moving if we want to be directed. If we want God to steer our lives, as it were, we have to be moving forward. And you just never know what the Lord wants to do. This is something that you see in the Scriptures, and, and I love this, this mentality. When it comes to just moving forward, pressing forward in Jesus' name, you just don't know what the Lord wants to do. And so that kind of fosters this attitude of moving forward in His name. Now think about um, 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll be getting to that in a couple of weeks. Jonathan, Saul's son, was uh, in battle against the Philistines, and they were, they were encamped in a certain place. And he said to his armor bearer, you know what? It doesn't matter if we have a lot of soldiers or not. God can deliver by many or by few. And so why don't we just go for it? And here's what we're going to do. The Philistines are encamped up this hill here. We're going to go to the bottom of the hill and we're going to call out to them. And if they tell us to come up here, then we're going to know that God has not delivered them into our hands. But if they say we'll come down to you, then we know that God has. Let's just go for it. You never know what the Lord might want to do. That's what he says. It may be that the Lord will work for us today. And so I've always loved that. You just don't know. It may be that God is going to do something here. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. You know, we don't want to be presumptuous about what God may or may not want to do because who, who knows the, the mind of the Lord truly? But we don't want to have paralysis by analysis either. You ever heard of that? Paralysis by analysis? You are analyzing everything. You are scrutinizing everything, every possible outcome, everything that could possibly go wrong. Is this the Lord's will? Is it not the Lord's will? And you become paralyzed. You can't move forward. You can't move forward. And so many Christians, too many Christians, are stuck in that place. They just won't move forward because they're so afraid of getting it wrong or, or failing, as it were. But, you know, i got to tell you, we serve a sovereign God. And God takes our failures and He redeems them. We learn from our failures. He uses them for our own good. And He, he is able to get us where He wants us to be. God is not hindered. God is not thwarted by our own mistakes. And so I think for us really just getting in the game and getting after it. Amen? And so, verse 23, 
Here it says, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. So notice here, there's really two things that Paul describes regarding his plans to come to them. He says there's no longer a place for me in these parts. There's not an open door here anymore. And he says, and I've had a desire to come to you for years. So two things, open doors and desire. Paul said there is no open door for me here, and I desire to be there, and so I'm going to come to you. I'm planning on coming. You know, if you have an open door and a desire, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? If the door is wide open and it is in your heart to do something for the Lord, then why not? Why don't you? You know, I really rest on Proverbs 16.9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God has us. God is the one who is directing us. If our heart is to serve the Lord and to please Him, then I think God is going to honor that even if we don't see the whole picture or even necessarily know kind of what, what the plan is ultimately. You know, we just go for it. We move forward in Jesus' name and God directs our steps. But we want to be a people who are stepping out. We are moving forward. And you know, that looks different for different people. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember I said radical is, is relative? You know, Paul had a, had a radical philosophy in ministry. It was that of a pioneer. But radical looks very different for, for all of us in this room. And so you just need to know what, what that is for you. What is stepping out for you today? What is moving forward in Jesus look like for you today? And it doesn't necessarily look like the person next to you or like the pastors that we like to listen to on YouTube. Or, you know, I remember I, I had mentioned this. There was a time when, you know, I just had this desire. I still have this desire to be radical for God, but I got to think, it kind of got to the point where I thought, man, if I don't like sell everything and move to the other side of the world and get persecuted for my faith, then I'm not really doing my Christian duty. You know, I don't think I would have ever said that, but I think there was something in me that was, it was a, a heavy weight. It was, it was a burden that the Lord was not putting on me. It was an expectation that God had never put on me. And I come to realize that radical looks very different. You know, I think about these things. I think about you guys when I'm studying, when I'm teaching, and I think about you specifically. And I, I would think, now, how would this apply to this young lady over here or this gentleman over here in this stage of life and it does look quite different from person to person and so you just need to know what it means for you and I can't tell you that but the Lord the Lord will lead you the Lord will guide you the Lord will use you I just want to know are you ready to move forward in Jesus name and be used by God to have this same mindset to press forward in ministry all right well that brings us to number two Paul planned tentatively to visit the Christians in Rome. Paul made plans and he held them loosely, but he did plan. Paul was a planner. Good news for all you planners out there. Paul planned tentatively and uh, he, his plan was to visit the Christians in Rome. So the, the second part of, of uh, verse 24 there, he says, For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you 
if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So notice Paul said, I hope. He said, I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped by you. And so Paul is currently, does anybody remember where Paul is writing from right now? Corinth, very good. Paul is on his third missionary journey. There are three journeys uh, recorded for us in the book of Acts. Paul is about halfway through his third journey. He's writing from Corinth, and this journey would ultimately end in Jerusalem. And we know that he's, he's heading in that direction. We'll get more into that in a moment. But, uh, you know, for him to finish up the rest of his trip, you know, and then make it to Rome, we're, we're looking at a few years, I think, and that's a conservative estimate. And so Paul says, look, when I finish this, I'm going to come to you, and you would think that he's talking like in a month or two, but we're talking a few years. And again, that's, that's a, a conservative view. But you know, things didn't go as Paul had hoped. When Paul makes it to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and then he's going to be incarcerated in Caesarea for a couple of years. And he would end up making it to Rome, but he would come uh, as a prisoner and he would be there on house arrest for a few years. And so these are plans, these are frankly long-term plans, and these were things that Paul hoped would, would happen for him, and they would, just not exactly the way that Paul intended them to happen. Isn't that the way that it is so often with the Lord? Which, you know, it's good to have long-term plans, folks. I'll just be straight with you. It's good to have goals, but we should hold them loosely because we don't know what the Lord wants to do ultimately. But I think we should have some idea, you know, what is it that God has put in your heart? What is your desire? How do you believe God has uniquely uh, molded you to serve Him? And, and what is your heart? What is your desire to serve Him in the long term, in the long haul? Again, like I said earlier, we don't want to presume upon the Lord. And so we have to be willing to, to acknowledge that we don't really know what God is going to do down the road. But I think it's good for us to have some sort of plan or idea as to how we want to serve the Lord. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But we should still say, let's do this or do that, you know. I think we can get so, so caught up on the if the Lord wills that we forget about this idea of even being intentional about what we want to do or how we're going to serve the Lord or, or where we hope to see God take us in the course of a few years, you know. And so a couple different ways you can look at this. I think some people obsess over this to a fault. I mean, that's all they're ever thinking about is, is, you know, the next thing. And they're agonizing over what they're going to do next and what they're going to do down the road. And they're absolutely missing what's going on right in front of them. And man, that's a trap if there ever was one. We can totally miss out on the blessings that are right in front of us because we're constantly agonizing over what we don't have or over that next thing. And this is something I've had to learn, and it's something I still can struggle with in my own life. But just, you know, living in the moment, thanking God for what you have right now, serving Him where you are right now. 
And some people, they can't do that. They're totally stuck in the future. You know, some people are stuck in the past. Some people cannot move forward because they're still living in the past. Past failures, past mistakes, that's a bad thing. Some people are obsessing over the future and they're missing what's in front of them. But, you know, I think for many people, really the issue is, is that they're not thinking anything about the future, you know. They have no plans whatsoever on how they want to serve the Lord. And you know what they call that? Floating. Floating. Can I tell you something? If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. Every time. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And so Paul had direction. Paul had hopes. He had plans. He wanted to be a guy serving the Lord zealously. He wanted to press forward in ministry. He had plans of what he wanted to do for the Lord and how he wanted to do it. And he held those plans loosely. But you know, I think one of the adventures of Christianity is discerning God-given desires and stepping out in faith for God's will and God's timing. That is one of the adventures of the Christian life. You know, the Christian life is not a boring life. It just is not. And I remember early on thinking, wow, God has plans for me. God wants to use me. I get to serve the Lord. And to begin to try to move forward and understand and uh, what it is that God had for me, what, what were those God-given desires that were there that had been placed in my heart, and to move toward those things. You know, Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5, these are just wonderful verses. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. I love that. Feed on God's faithfulness. Then verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. God gives you your desires. And what I mean by that is that God places desires in your heart. God has good intentions. God has good plans for you. They're His plans. And I believe that God puts those desires in our hearts and then we are to walk in those desires and in those plans of God because it says in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? The desires that He has placed in your heart. And so that's what it's all about, folks. You know, God puts desires in our hearts. God has plans for our lives. And we just go for it. We move forward. Look for those open doors. Listen to those desires, sense those desires, and move forward. You know, Paul pressed forward in ministry, Paul planned in ministry, but he had another principle by which he governed his itinerary. And this brings us to our third point, and that is Paul prioritized. Paul prioritized for the needs of the saints. And that's what Paul is currently doing. This was the mission that he was on in the moment. You know, Paul had plans. He had, uh, he had goals in mind for what he was going to do after this particular mission was over. Remember I told you he was on his third missionary journey and he was doing something very significant there. And he said, when this is over, I hope to come to you and see you. But he had something that he was doing in the moment, something very special. And we see this in verse 25. He says, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia 
to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. He said, but now I'm going to Jerusalem. So Paul had somewhere else on his mind, on his heart, that he had to go first. And we know that Paul was collecting a love offering from the other churches that he intended to finally take to the church in Jerusalem because there was a, there was a famine in the land. They were struggling greatly, the Christians there. And so as Paul was on these missionary journeys, he was taking up an offering from these Christians, these Gentile churches, to take back and to deliver to them. And we're told that he, uh, he received offerings from Macedonia and Achaia. Can anybody tell me what would be some significant churches in Macedonia? Say how well you know your Bible maps. What churches were in Macedonia? Philippi, very good. What else? Huh? Thessalonica, very good. That was my wife. She probably learned that from me. <laughs> I'm just teasing. All right, what about Achaia? I'm thinking about one church in particular in Achaia. What church is in Achaia? Corinth, the church of Corinth. And so these were churches that were partnering to help support the churches in Jerusalem. So Paul, as he traveled through Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, so on and so forth, he was collecting money to finally distribute to the churches there in Jerusalem. And he says this in verse 27, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So it was seen as a joy and an obligation for these other churches to support Jerusalem. It was a duty on one hand, and it was something that they delighted in. It was a pleasure for them. The Gentile Christians enjoyed much, much fruit because of what God had done in Jerusalem through the Jews, through the, the gospel explosion that happened there in Jerusalem, and then how it fanned out through the, the Jewish um, evangelist. And the apostles went out and planted churches, and these churches spread all around. And so they saw it as a real debt that they owed to the Jewish Christians. They had benefited so greatly from these other folks that they saw it as their duty to serve them and to bless them back. They sought to return the favor in a very practical way. And I, and I love this, just the practicality of this. They had received spiritual blessings, to be sure. But they recognized that the people in Jerusalem had a very different need. They had physical needs. So how did they return? How did they repay the spiritual blessings? They did it in a very practical, in a very tangible, in a very real way. They gave financially. And so there's just a good lesson in that. You know, needs, needs vary. And there are so many different ways in which we can support each other. And there are so many different ways in which we should support each other. And it doesn't have to be, you, you served me this way and now I have to serve you that way. And that's not what happened here. They had been blessed spiritually, and so they saw it as a sweet opportunity to, to meet a very great and real need in the Jerusalem church. And so that was a great priority. That was a great priority for the churches around the, the known world there, and it was a great priority for the apostle paul to meet a very real and physical need in the lives of the christians there and that's exactly what paul was doing 
And so in verse 28, he says, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So Paul said that after he completed this very important task, he would be on his way. He would be on his way. And Paul said that he would come in Christ's good timing and not a moment sooner. And once his immediate task was complete, then he would be able to come in the fullness of Christ's blessing. I love this. So Paul was on God's timetable. Paul's priority was God's priority for him and his service. And there was a very real practical need there in the Jerusalem church. And Paul said, I've got to tend to this. I've got to see to this, that this is taken care of. And when it is, then I will come to you with the full blessing of Christ. I don't know, have you ever had a moment in your life where you just knew you were where you were supposed to be? Where you knew that everything that had happened up to that point brought you to that point? And you knew that you were right where God wanted you to be and that you were serving the Lord, walking with Him in His full blessing. Man, it's just a great place to be, right smack in the middle of God's will and God's timing. And that's how it is when you have God's priorities. And so understanding what that is in your life, what is God's priority for you? What does that look like? You know, we can, we can go generic with this to be sure, and I think it's important. I don't, by generic, I don't mean that it's not important, but in a very general sense, we know that God's priority for all of us is that we would believe on Jesus Christ and be saved because it's God's desire, God wills that all would come to the knowledge of His Son, that all would turn from their sin and call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Amen? I mean, that, that is a glorious truth and reality. That is the gospel. That's God's priority. That's what the Bible is all about from cover to cover. Things went really bad there in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. And the rest of the Bible is about how God is making all things new, making things right again. God's plan of redemption and God's restoration through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, it is moving forward pointing to the time when Christ would come and when he would, he would live amongst His people. And He would live the life that we failed to live. Every human being had failed to live and continues to fail to live. Christ would live a life of moral perfection in every sense. He would never once rebel against God the Father's will or law. But then Jesus wouldn't just stop there. Jesus would die the sinner's death. He would die the death that we all deserved. We who have broken God's law. We who have rebelled. We who have transgressed. Jesus would die in our stead on the cross. And our sins, the sins that we were to pay for, would be put on Jesus there on the cross. And Jesus would be crushed under the wrath of God Almighty. And our sins, those who have trusted Christ for salvation, washed away right there at the cross. And so now, the Bible says, whosoever believes on Jesus, whosoever trusts in Him, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That your sins would be forgiven. And that Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, Christ's innocence would be accredited to your account. 
And then you would know God as a loving Heavenly Father, and you would be born again. And you will one day stand before God in glory in heaven and freedom. And that's all God's grace, and that's God's priority. That's the gospel. That is God's priority for our lives. Amen? But then there's the priority of walking in that, walking in that daily. You know, sometimes we get really tripped up on what's the next thing. You know, what what is God's will for my life? Well, let's start with the things we know what we're not supposed to do. And there are things that we know that we are supposed to do on the daily. And so those are priorities, to believe on Jesus, to walk in the light, but also understanding God's priority for your life right now, in this place and time. And again, this looks very different from person to person. We're all in in different walks of life, and we have different priorities, and that's okay. That's a good thing. You just need to know what God's priority is for you and walk in it. And I've seen some people get this really twisted, you know. I knew a guy years ago. All he wanted was to be a pastor. That was, man, he was just convinced, and he was willing to sacrifice anything on that altar. And I remember his, his wife was working to support the family so that he could be free to go out there and and be a mover and shaker and shake the bushes and see what he could kind of get going in, in, in ministry. But he had to be at home for a certain time because his daughter was homeschooled. And I remember he actually told her that he felt like he was a prisoner in his own home because he had to be there to homeschool her. And he couldn't be out serving the Lord. I mean, that is just really sick, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, he lost his wife and his daughter, frankly. And so sometimes we can really get skewed when we... When we we misplace our priorities and we go after desires that maybe aren't even really God-given desires. And so we have to be careful. We have to know what is it that God has, has for us? What is the priority in your life? The God-given priority in your life and go for it. And this brings us to our last point, point number four. Paul pleaded for, well, I actually got three P's in this one, all right? So I didn't want to freak you all out and be like, we got seven P's today. Three and one here. Paul pleaded for partnership and prayer from the saints. I thought about going, Paul pleaded for partnership and prayer from the people. I thought, okay, that's just going overboard. (laughs) All right, verse 30. He says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God. Uh, prayers to God for me, excuse me. So Paul had a deep and abiding desire for partnership from the, the Christians there in Rome. He said, I beg you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, that you would strive together with me in prayers to God for me. I love that. David Guzik in his commentary says this, that this, uh, this word here for strive, the ancient Greek word, translated strive literally means to agonize to agonize together it's the only place in the bible where you'll find this actual word and so he's saying i'm begging you would you agonize with me in prayer to god for me and the same word spurgeon says this yet though that's the only time in the bible that you find that particular word spurgeon says the same root word for agony is used of Jesus' anguished prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
when Jesus asked, asked his disciples to agonize with him in prayer. They failed at that critical moment, and they left Jesus to struggle alone. We must not leave our ministers and leaders to struggle alone. So here, um, Spurgeon is obviously applying this to, to the leadership of the church, to pastors and, and ministers and leaders. And that is so important. We do rely heavily upon the prayers of our people. You know, who is fit for, for such a task? Spurgeon goes on, speaking of William Carey, he talks about Carey was a great missionary to India, and Carey would say, look, I will go down into the well. I will go down, but you have to hold the rope. And so he counted on other people to support him financially, to support him, I think, most of all through prayer. And that's how it is. We're, this is a partnership. We are all in this together in this ministry endeavor. And so Paul pleaded, Paul begged, Paul urged the Christians there in Rome to pray for him, to pray to God for him in his ministry, that they would partner with him. And that's what, you know, the word koinonia, we talk about that word a lot, communion, fellowship, same word for partnership. And that's what it is. We are a fellowship of believers. We are a family in Christ. We are one in him by the blood of Jesus, and we are partnering together in the work of ministry. And one of the most important ways that we do this is through prayer. And so I, I was just really hit by this. You know, Paul, the great apostle Paul, needed prayer. He, he pleaded with people to pray for him. You know, we've got some very, uh, we have some very dedicated prayer warriors in this church. We have um, a few groups in particular that have met so faithfully for years, and, and they're few in number. We have oftentimes asked and continue to regularly ask for people to join those groups, but whether they do or not, I watch those groups continue to meet faithfully and to pray. They pray for me. They pray for us. They pray for so many needs, specific needs, and, and needs at large. And I know that we have a lot of other prayer warriors in this church who pray faithfully from home. And that is their greatest ministry, that is their heart, that is their passion. And I just want to say thank you to our prayer warriors in this church. I mean, we just can't know God's blessing. Uh, I mean, what God's blessing comes to us by way of, of the prayers of His people. I feel like if we really knew... If we really knew, we would pray a lot more, don't you think? And so Paul really pleaded for, for their partnership in prayer. And I think this is a great encouragement for us all to take more seriously praying. Praying for each other. Praying for our leaders. And this was a very real aspect of Paul's ministry, was that of prayer. He says, and he's going to actually give some specific prayer requests here in verse 31. He says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So there's a, a number of things that Paul asked for here. He prayed. And, and so I, this to me is really cool. You know, we get an insight here. And to, you know, this scripture, the thing about scripture, prayer and scripture is that we believe the scriptures are inspired by God. God breathed. 
And so when we see prayer requests, when we see prayers, these are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers and prayer requests. That's pretty cool. And I think that informs us a little bit on the kinds of things that we should be praying and asking for prayer in. And so this, some very practical things here. Paul asked that his mission would not be in vain, that when he got there and came with the gift to the Jews, that they would receive this gift in goodwill that he would go the distance on his mission, that he would finally come in God's blessing, and that they would receive the gift and receive it joyfully. He prayed that. Uh, he asked that they would pray for him on that. He asked that uh, he would be able to come joyfully and by the will of God. He prayed that he would be refreshed when he got there. Praying for uh, refreshing. You know, that's, that's such a sweet thing. That's something that we need. We need to be refreshed in the Lord from time to time, don't we? That's something that we should be praying for, praying for others, that they would be refreshed in the Lord. And then Paul's request was for safety, safety against the hostile Jews. And you know, i got to tell you, this was a very real threat. Everywhere Paul went, he knew one thing, he was going to get attacked. He was going to be antagonized by the hostile Jews and pagans everywhere that he went. This was a very real threat. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, and we know that when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested. And, you know, he was going to eventually make it to Rome, and we know everything that he had to go through. So he gets to the end of his mission, missionary journey there. He gets arrested. He's incarcerated for two years in Caesarea, and then he, he goes through that very tumultuous uh, ship wreck, if you will, and he, he finally makes it there in the end of Acts chapter 28, and he is uh, on house arrest for three years there, so Paul did get there finally by the will of God. He told him he had hoped to make it there, and he did, and he asked that they would pray for him, and they did, I, I have no doubt, and so I look at all that Paul went through, and Paul finally got there, and I just wonder how much of their prayers really affected his ability. He, he did make it. He, he, he dropped off the gift. <clears throat> he, he did get arrested, but he didn't die. There were plots on his life that were made. They, they wanted to kill Paul. And he made it to Rome, and then he was there on house arrest for three years. I imagine that he was really refreshed during that time, you know? And so I just consider the power of the prayers of the saints for Paul. And I recognize that we need that in our own lives, and we need to be about that for each other. So just by way of reminder here, what we've seen is that Paul pressed forward in his mission endeavors, that, <coughs> excuse me, Paul planned tentatively to visit the Christians in Rome, Paul prioritized for the needs of the saints, and then Paul pleaded for partnership and prayer from the saints. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and your faithfulness to your word. And I pray, God, that we would be able to live in the light of these, these realities that govern Paul's missionary endeavors. Help us to take these things to heart <clears throat> and to be able to live them out. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.